What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, my name is Glenn, and this is episode number 256. Uh, I'm recording this intro on Monday, what is it, August 28th, and it comes out on Monday, September 4th, so I'm recording this a week ahead of time. Uh, but Jordan, my daughter, started school uh, the 16th which was a Wednesday, about a week, almost two weeks ago. It'd be two weeks ago this Wednesday. And uh, first of all, she's already been sick, <laughs> right back. We haven't been sick since last school year. And she's there for like, was it one, two, three, four, four days of school. And she came home sick with a fever. Uh, she had a little bit of a cold, you know, cough, stuffy nose, all the different things. Uh, so anyway, you know, Back to school germs, and hopefully, hopefully it won't be like last year because they say kindergarten germs are the worst, and I, I would agree with that. Like they pretty much took out our whole family <laughs> multiple times. Uh, we had like dodged COVID since the pandemic started, and uh, she's there for not even a week, and we all get COVID. And then there was pink eye, and there was respiratory infections. There was the stomach virus. I mean, it was everything you can imagine that could happen in a classroom, it happened and we got it. Uh, so hopefully that's not going to happen this year. Hopefully this first one, I will say that this moved pretty quick. So I feel like her immune system is building up because you, like in the, like last year she'd be sick and she was sick for a whole week, you know, and she was home for a week. This, this time was two days she was home, which wasn't really uh, too bad. She didn't miss too much. So anyway, she's having fun. Uh, it's all good. And she's loving first grade, which is it's always easier to send your kids to school when they leave with a smile, right? Like she loves school. She loves her friends. She loves her teacher. She's excited to go. And so that's that's a good thing. But uh, me, on the other hand, <laughs> I wanted to tell you, because people have been asking me how I'm doing. So excuse this extended introduction. If you don't want to hear from me, you can just hit fast forward. But uh, people have been asking, like, you know, how are you doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. And it's been hard. Like this season of life, friends, has been really, really difficult. Uh, really hard. And I didn't anticipate any of this six months ago or back in March when my father passed away. Um, and I've talked about this before. Like I've always been this person who stuffs away my feelings to, to get my work done, right? To do the things I have to do in my life, you know? So stuff away the feelings, the tears, and make your way through the pile, through the to-do list. But I, I really have been intentional with doing the opposite now, which is push the work aside and let my create space for my feelings and my emotions to kind of come to the surface. And so uh, I've been doing that in a lot of different areas. But, you know, one of the things that's been really hard about this season is I feel like I'm letting go of a lot of things. You know, like our dog passed away in, in the spring, my father passed away. Um, kindergarten ended, right? And then we went into the summer, which has been great, but now summer's ending. You know, we have a pool up in the driveway for Jordan where we, we had tons of you had tons of fun in there over the summer, and that's going to come down soon. Um, you know, we're heading into, you know, into the fall, so the summer is coming to a close. And uh, in July was my mom's birthday, first birthday without my dad. Um, August was my dad's birthday. 
September is their anniversary. You know, the holidays are coming. And I just, I'm in this place where like, I'm just tired of having to let things go and being reminded of the things I've had to let go. And so I tell you all this because on Wednesday when we dropped Jordan off from school, obviously all smiles for her. But man, when we closed the door (laughs) and she went into the building and we drove away, man, I just, I cried, man. The tears just, uh, it just erupted, you know? Because it's that feeling of letting go of something else again like i feel like oh like a another thing another season to let go like she'll never have her kindergarten summer again like this is what i'm thinking about you know and then i go through you know i I could have done more with this i was way too impatient on this day and like all these different things and i I, i'm this person who like overthinks everything that i do or that i did when when something has come to an end i've always been that way you know and and Dana's like, you're, you're way, way too hard on yourself. You know, like she's had a fantastic summer, you know, and you can't beat yourself up for like the little things that maybe you didn't do or you want to do differently or whatever. Like that's not what it's about, you know. But that's just the place that I'm in right now, you know. It's just overthinking so many things and letting my, uh, my, my emotions really, really, really bubble and sometimes get the best of me. And so I've been trying to create that space just to kind of let that happen and feel those things. So I cried the whole way home. Uh, we got home and we talked a little bit, and uh, doing 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 much better. Uh, two weeks later, but uh, she even asked, like, "Daddy, did you cry? <laughs> did you cry when I went to school?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely did." And she's like, "Oh, Daddy, I love you so much." And uh, you know, it's it's been good. So she's having a lot of fun, and she's loving school. Loves her teacher. Uh, making friends and uh, life life is good and I'm enjoying it. I, I drop her off at school in the morning we have our little talks on the way uh, I get to pick her up most days you know as well after school I get to see that smile when she gets in and we go home and have snack and you know talk about her day and stuff and it's been it's been good so getting back into the swing back into the groove of uh, of the school schedule uh, but today is episode 256. And uh, today we're talking to Allison Fabricius, who wrote a book called Unapologetically Allison. Uh, This book is about accepting your true self, inviting all the parts of you to the table, uh, giving them all a voice, even the parts of you that you don't like, that other people say aren't good enough, uh, embracing your full self, living your true self, and knowing that uh, God loves you. Right, just the way that you are. But the the all those topics, right? You you can find these kind of topics in other books. But friends, I told Allison in the episode, like I've never seen a there's there's no book out there written like this. This book is written in the form of a play. So there's acts, um, there's different scenes, and it's all Allison's story, uh, told in a very creative kind of a way. And you're reading it, and you feel like you're reading a play, but then you'll get to the end of like a scene or an act, you're like, oh, like this is much deeper than a play. Like this, <laughs> this, this book is is unearthing something in me, and it was really, really well done. So I highly recommend that you go pick it up. Uh, you will not be sorry. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, also in the show notes, Patreon. If you want to support the show financially, uh, you can do that there. Three dollars a month, up to whatever it is that you want to give a month. Uh, every Every dollar that you give goes to help pay the bills, right? Put food on the table, keep the lights on, all the different things. 
And when you sign up on Patreon, you get access to a Discord group where we chat throughout the course of the week. Uh, we also have a book club this fall where we're going to be meeting uh, in a separate Discord group to chat about the book. And then we'll have a Zoom hangout where the author of the book will come on and talk to us and answer our questions and things like that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But that's all the perks of Patreon. Like I said, it doesn't matter how much you give. Everybody gets the same uh, reward or level of access or whatever. Uh, we didn't want to make it, uh, you know, we didn't want to make like all the community kind of stuff like a higher level because not everybody can give that much. You know, some people only give $3. And even if you can't give anything, uh, honestly, just message me somewhere on social media, email me, uh, go to the website, you know, click on the email, email me, tell me, you know, times are tough, you can't afford it, but you want the community, fine. There's people in Discord who, who don't pay anything any month because they just can't, and that's fine. Uh, so I just let them in anyway because they want that uh, access to community and people who are in the same place that they are uh, in their faith. And so anyway, all the links to all those things in the show notes, my book in the show notes as well. Uh, that's it. I'm going to shut up now. It's been it's been nine minutes. I've been telling you about my life for nine minutes. So it's a, a long enough extended intro. Uh, we'll continue. Last thing, we'll continue these biweekly episodes into November. And I think uh, November, the first Monday, November, We'll, we'll go back into weekly episodes uh, from there. And so bi-weekly through October, uh, weekly starting up again in November. So all that to say, my friends, uh, that's it. Allison Fabricius, unapologetically. Allison, pick up her book. It's in the show notes. Let's do it. Have a great day. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with a brand new guest. Her name is Allison Fabricius, and she has written a beautiful book called Unapologetically Allison, subtitled Because Their Visions of Her Just Had to Go. And so, Allison, welcome to the podcast. I've been looking forward to talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. So we're going to get into some of the details of your book in just a moment. But before we do that, maybe kick us off and tell us a little bit about your yourself. Who are you? Uh, some of the amazing work that you're doing in the world, because I've read bits and pieces of it, but I'd love to hear you talk about what it is that you do. Mm, thank you. Well, let's... I'm How like, much time do we have, do right? Have? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I think for me, I would call, I would call myself um, a rebel without a cause, except for I actually have a cause. I like it. Um, when I was working, I was working with Meg. She was sort of mm -hmm. my marketing coach, and, and we wrangled a lot with describing how I do what I do. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked a lot about the fact that I just recently started dyeing my hair blue and purple. Nice. Uh, that was one of those really seriously taboo things in the culture that I grew up in and in the family that I grew up in. Like you, you went with the color you were born with. Right. And by no means did you go with any of the colors in the. <laughs> and that you're like, watch this. <laughs> right. Essentially, yeah. Like yeah. I just went as I as I started doing the work that I describe in my book mm -hmm. and started 
realizing that the reasons that I did what I did didn't actually have anything to do with me, but had to do with how I felt about other people and the structures yeah. around me. Yeah. I went, if that's the only reason I'm not dying my hair, that's a really dumb reason to not dye my hair. <laughs> sure. Let's go purple. Let's, and I, I had to do purple first because you could hide it. Yeah. And then as I did that for a while and I got bolder and bolder and bolder, then <laughs> we're just, we're out in green and blue now and it's great. Um, but I, I use that as a metaphor, if you will, for what it is that I do, um, is I help people look at why they do what they do and why they might like to do something different. Mm. Um, I started work with a friend a couple of years ago, uh, where we just started talking a couple hours every week and we started looking at trauma. And up to that point, the only trauma that I had ever heard about was big T trauma. Mm-hmm. It was your, you went to war, PTSD, all out big, obvious trauma or mm-hmm. car accident trauma or uh, physical abuse trauma. And so that was sort of, that was the language. That was the understanding I had, but we were talking one day and kind of created a definition for ourselves of little T trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that whatever experiences that we have in life that cause us to define ourselves define the world or define how we fit in the world differently mm-hmm. can be a traumatic experience. Mm. Um, it, it can leave a record, if you will, of how we view our lives differently than God intended. Mm. And that is ultimately what I'm trying to do mm. is to help people gain a fresh view of God and a fresh view of themselves mm. in connection with God. Because I'm a firm believer that he sent us here to have the full range of human existence, to learn how we're like him already, not to figure out how to beat ourselves into submission, to finally be humble enough, to be good enough to be him. Um, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and our theology states that we are his children, and we have the ability to become like him, to be literal gods and goddesses one day. Yeah. And the culture that I grew up in taught me that I would have to work really hard to beat myself up a whole lot. And maybe if I was lucky enough and penitent enough, maybe I'd get there eventually. Yeah. But the more that I talk to him, the more he says I already am like him. It's just learning how to unlearn everything the world taught me that scares me to think that I could be him. Um, So that's what I, in a a not very small nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you do. That's what I want to help people learn from themselves too. Yeah. And I love that because I'm on this journey where my background is probably similar, different than yours, but I, I was raised to see Jesus as he's this guy who's basically set up to show me everything that I'm not right. Like he's, he's the stand, the gold standard is, is Jesus. And I'm just this worm down here who can't get anything right. And so every time I look at Jesus and I read the gospels, like, oh, there's another instance of what I'm not. Here's another reason for me to be ashamed of who I am and all these different things. But now I'm in this place where I see Jesus as he, he, his, his purpose is to show me everything that I am. It's almost like to remind me and wake me up because we've all been created in the image of God, but we make our way through this world and sometimes we forget who we are. And so I look to Jesus and I remember, I'm like, oh yes, that's who I am. And I wake up. And so people today tell me, especially like from my old tribe, they're like, well, you don't believe in Jesus anymore. I'm like, no, I believe in Jesus very much. Like I love Jesus so much, but I just view Jesus as much different than I used to. 
And I feel like you and I, I feel like we're on like a similar wavelength in terms of how you just explain that. And, and I think that was something that I struggled with my relationship with Jesus for that very reason. Because mm-hmm. I always felt like he was standing there showing me everything that I wasn't. Yeah, so I kind of didn't want to talk to him for a while because right. I was just like, you're just going to tell me that I'm bad. Why would I want to talk to you? Right. Um, I'm not quite sure why I was okay with God and not okay with, I don't know quite <laughs> the full depths of that dichotomy. Sure. Um, but I know that it was a really big deal in yeah. my book when yeah. the Savior showed up and said, but you have just as much stuff to do as I do. Yeah. Like you have just as much ability as I do. Like, yes, I did these things, but I did them so that you could do what you do the way you do. Yeah. And that changed everything for me because yeah. then he wasn't this figure I could never keep up with. I could never be like, it was this figure that was rooting for me even more than I was rooting for myself. Yeah. And that was a completely new thing I had never considered before. Yeah. That's so good. So your book is, we talked about it before we record. It's, it's really creatively done and it's written for our listeners. It's written like as a play would be written. There's like acts and there's scenes and there's characters and there's even like a narrator. And I said to you before we hit record, I'm like, why didn't I think of this? It's such a brilliant way to tell a story because everybody's telling their stories and it's always like told in the same way, but you come at it as a play and it was just so, it like hooked me right in. And then the the play all comes together to encourage the reader to remember that these stories that people are telling about us aren't necessarily our stories. So I was wondering if we could maybe begin there if you could tell us more uh, about these stories that people tell us whether it's our our families our friends our churches uh, different systems institutions Uh, and we often go about adopting these stories that people tell about us as our own but deep down inside there's a whole different uh, version of who we are so maybe take us into those stories uh, a little bit wow that's that's quite a question right there um Again, how much time? We'll do a part two. <laughs> exactly. No, we're like, we'll get to that point. Part two, here we come. Um, I think for me, it was understanding that I had lived in a world mm-hmm. where I never understood that I hadn't written my own story. That's mm-hmm. like, that's the first thing is because some of us will be in a place where we already recognize that we are just tired up to here mm-hmm. with all of everybody else's perspectives and ideas yeah. and um, machinations. I, I will restrain myself from saying manipulations, but I will say machinations, Mm. uh, for certain outcomes for us. Um, I grew up though, for the longest time, not realizing that any of that was happening. All I understood is that there was a part of me within myself telling me that I had to be a good girl, Mm -hmm. that I couldn't dye my hair, that I couldn't speak my mind, that I couldn't view God the way that I view God because that's not what good girls do. Mm-hmm. That's not what faithful saints do. That's not what, and so insert whatever adjective you want there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's just not what you did. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I hit my late twenties that I realized that was not how I actually viewed myself. That was mm-hmm. not me being myself. That was me trying to please these dear, sweet old ladies that I had met when I was eight, like seven that were like, now, honey, to be a good person, you need to be this way. (laughs) Did they mean it out of the sweetness of their heart? Totally. Yes. Like, was there any malintent there? No. Mm -hmm. Were my parents 
telling me to be careful? Were my parents telling me to choose the right? Were my parents telling me that I needed to be a good person because they cared about me? Yes, Mm -hmm. totally. But they were also telling me that because they were afraid. That was coming from a place of fear. That was not coming from a place of possibility. And, And that was how they were raised and that was their understanding. So it's like none of these stories make the people in our lives bad. Yeah. Doesn't make us bad for listening yeah. to them. Yeah. But it doesn't make us free. Yeah. It doesn't them looking at me telling me that good people do this or never ever ever do this because that's bad. Mm-hmm. Were them coming from what they knew and what they chose. It didn't come from a place of what I could learn and what I would choose. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, for me, I think the stories that we hear all around us can be very true for the person saying them, mm-hmm. but are not necessarily true for us. Yeah. And so for us, it's about choosing what story do we actually want? Yeah. What, what versions of them telling us to be certain ways? And also I'm saying telling as though like I literally sat down with all of these people and they like you literally use those words. Mm-hmm. That's not how culture works, is sure. it? Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, sometimes, yes. Those mm-hmm. those little T trauma experiences I was talking about literally were someone coming to me telling me that I needed to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, there literally is a boy from my past who called me a cow because I didn't fit his version of what a body type mm-hmm. should be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some of those moments are very explicit. Mm-hmm. They're very out loud obvious clear as day but i would argue that the even more painful stories to deal with are the implicit ones Mm. are the cultural parameter ones are Mm. the if you want to be with the group this is the way the group is so you better be like the group and our desire for belonging is so strong we will drink that kool-aid nine times out of ten before we realize that that is not the kool-aid we want that's right and sorry, I could go on for another 20 minutes. So I will pause myself. No, there. yeah, no. Then everything you're saying is ringing true to my head. Because as you were reading, as I was reading the book, I was like, this is like a therapy session <laughs> for me. Because I was thinking a lot about, like you said, those, those, those instances in your childhood, things like that, where somebody calls you a name. Like I remember for me, I was, I was heavy when I was a kid and they called me Glenn, Glenn, the big fat hen. And like, that's something that always sticks out in my mind and always has. And I remember even as I grew up and I got heavier and I, there was just a huge, that was a huge thing that would always ring in my head. So that's, that's one, that's one thing. But I think the other thing, like you said, is the systems and the institutions that we're a part of. Like, if you want to be part of the in group, you've got to look like this. And I was thinking about my time in seminary and in church because I, I, I went to seminary, I pastored a church and went back to seminary. When I was in the church, I have tattoos. And they said, you got to cover up your tattoos when you're in the pulpit. You know, you got to, they made me wear armband. I have a wrist tattoo. They said, you got to wear an armband around there so people can't see it. You always got to make sure your, your sleeves aren't too short where your tattoos stick out. And I'm like, but this is who I am. They're like, well, you, you can't have that. So you have to hide that part of yourself. So I'm like, okay. So I hid that. I used to have piercings in my ears. You got to take those out. You got to do what you can to cover up those holes so people can't see them. So I'd like fit this, this mold. And I always felt like I'm never going to be able to fit this mold unless I hide these parts of myself. So I felt like those parts of me were not welcome. And then when I went back to seminary, 
um, I was, I was, I went back to seminary to get my doctorate and I was doing this dissertation on how the church can use social media and technology to connect with people. So I'm sitting in this room and we have to go around the room and talk about what our dissertation topics are going to be. And there's all these people who are pastors and they're bishops of denominations doing all these grand, amazing things. And here I'm going to talk about my blog, right? And I felt like so out of place. I felt like I felt like such a loser. And then we started taking these classes where it's like you got to you got to be an outgoing person to be a leader. And I'm more of an introvert. I'm quiet. And I always felt like that wasn't good enough in, in this world that I was in. So I had to change and cast out that demon so I can be somebody who's more vibrant and more outgoing and more of like an upfront leader. And there's all the issues of like manhood and what it means to be a real man, you know, and you have to be like this. But I feel like I don't fit that mold. I'm more of the quiet guy that would rather go to Target and get a Starbucks and walk around than I am the guy that wants to go out in the woods and shoot things. You know what I mean? Like, this is not who I am. But I always felt like I was out of place. And so as I was reading your book, I was thinking about all of those stories that these different institutions have told me and just the importance of now I'm in this place where I'm peeling back the layers. I'm trying to discover who am I really? Like when I look to Jesus, the Christ, and I see him and all of his goodness doing all the things that he did uh help me remember who i really am uh i think i'm gonna quote this wrong but i'm gonna lean in anyway <laughs> <laughs> go for it uh you quote things wrong all the time <laughs> and I act like you have to say it with confidence like you know you're saying it right <laughs> well i i feel like it was jeremiah i know it was today <laughs> um but the idea that i formed thee in the womb like i yeah. knew you before i formed thee and i made That's you right. a very specific way yeah and I feel like we, I learned, I grew up hearing that and like, mm -hmm. isn't it so cool that God knew you and, and he was so impressed with you and he sent you here and then he's going to change you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> like, why, <laughs> why would God tell me that he knew me Yeah. and not change me then? But right. my entire purpose here is to have to be different. Like mm -hmm. there's a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like God made me and then made all these other people. It's like, oh, actually I should have made you more like that. So why don't you go and be like that? <laughs> I did it wrong. <laughs> I, I got you wrong. I'm sorry. I need you to change a little bit. Like, no, that is never, ever, ever a conversation I have ever had with God. In exactly. fact, Sunday was a really rough day. Like, so the last it's been a whirlwind the last mm. year. Like the whole last year has been insane. I ended up getting divorced. I ended up moving like four times. Mm. I ended up in all sorts of places I never expected. My grandma's in the hospital. She only has a couple of months to live. Like mm. things are like in insane world right now. Yeah. And I just felt broken. Mm. Like everything, it felt like everything that I had tried to do in the last month had failed. It was all going poorly. And it was me trying to be me and it just had not worked. And so I took it to God and I'm like, I am having really hard time seeing me right now. Could you tell me what you see instead? Mm. Like, like, let me in on this big secret. And he said, I saw, I see a beautiful brother. Mm. Like, I see you being you and you haven't, you're still figuring out how to do it. Like, I see you feeling stuff in ways you've never let yourself feel before. Like, yeah. you're not going to be good at it. I know you want to be, but you're not because you're learning. Yeah. 
and I'm excited you're learning. Mm. Like he wasn't telling me that I needed to feel differently. He wasn't mm-hmm. telling me that I needed to grow up and get better. He wasn't telling me that I was falling short. He was telling me that my view of myself is limited yeah. and his isn't. Yeah. And that he is beautifully impressed with me and my effort. Yeah. I'm like, that's a God that I want to talk to all the time. That's right. And, and that's, that's the voice that I want inside my head more often instead of the voices that I grew up with telling me all of those incomplete versions of myself, yeah. that that was all that I could see. Yeah. It sounds like, and I'm hearing, it seems to, I'm hearing like a lot of maybe references to almost inner child work, right? Because yes. there's like, there's, that's something I've been really interested in lately. And I've had some people on the show, uh, Nate Polstoweight is a big name on uh, Instagram and he does a lot of inner child stuff. He was on the show talking to me about it. And just this idea of speaking to that younger version of ourselves, right? Because again, going back to like school, I was always told, I went, I went to the same college and seminary. They're part of the same group. And so I was there for a long time and it's a very charismatic place. And again, like you said, everybody there, they're coming from a wonderful place. I, I met some amazing people there. Um, you know, they were all doing the best they could with the knowledge that they had, right? Looking back on it, I'm realizing how many traumatic things that, that there were. And one of them is that, you know, this quiet side of me, you know, that I, I'm somebody who doesn't like to be out front. If I go to a party, I'm going to hit the snack table and I'm going to spend some time there. You know, <laughs> I have really no desire to be talking to a lot of people. I just don't. People are like, well, you do a podcast. I'm like, I know. But then when I'm done, I can turn off the camera and the person goes away. You know, like I, I like to have my, my time. That's just who I am. And so I was always, I always felt like that was like, that was the wrong way to be as a pastor. And so there was this part of me is like, well, that's, that's a bad thing. So we have to get rid of that. And so I was told that that, that, that must be a demon. So it's a demon of shame. It's a demon of, um, you know, low self-esteem. And so literally I can't tell you, Allison, how many, um, want to call them deliverance sessions, whatever it was to try to get this demon out of me. And I've told the story in the podcast before that my friend, Alexander Shia, I was talking to him and this was just like maybe a year ago. And I was telling him this story and I'm like, I can't get rid of this quiet side of me. Like, I feel like it needs to, there has to be a balance or something. And he said, what if that quiet side of you, what if that's not a bad thing? He's like, what, what if there's an, a sense where that's your inner child? And what if there's a sense where instead of casting that thing out, you have to make friends with it, befriend it, ask him why he's quiet and learn from what he has to tell you. And I was like, that's such a brilliant idea. I never thought of that. And so I stopped trying to like cast this thing out or shame it or lock it up in a closet and go about my life. And I started just, and when I feel quiet, I just try to listen to myself and what that voice has to say and let that voice have a place at the table instead of trying mm-hmm. to cast it out. And I feel like it's done wonders for me because now I love that side of me and I, I'm not afraid to say that I want to go to the snack table and be left alone. <laughs> that's just who I am, you know, and that's, and that's just fine. <laughs> And that the people in your life love you and your quiet side too. Like this right. isn't an either, or this isn't right. a, I have to hide my quiet side because no one will like me. It's the people that I want in my space are cool that that's how I want my space to be. That's <laughs> like, right. There is this duality here. Um, that actually made me think of, so as, as you mentioned, it's a play, mm-hmm. right? So my yep. book's a play yep. um, and it's split into act one, act two and act three. Fun mm-hmm. story. I initially wrote this. I, 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 
unapologetically Allison <laughs> was originally a one act play that I was going to call the play, even though it wasn't a play. The play. So then it becomes <laughs> a play and it becomes unapologetically Allison. And I wrote act one and I, I, I wrote the first set and I was like, okay, it's done. And the Lord went and you're not publishing yet. And I went, but I'm publishing this thing. Yes, you are, but not yet. So I waited and I waited and I waited and came to some really powerful personal realizations in the moment and ended up switching it to be a two act play. And I wrote the third act in a week. Mm. And up to this point, it's always me and God. It's me and Jesus. It's me and an intermediary. Mm -hmm. And, and at the end of act two, ginormous spoiler alert, I leave thinking I have all of the answers. (laughs) And then I come storming back in at the beginning of act three. You lied to me. <laughs> we all have those moments in our lives, right? You have this yep. huge epiphany. You have this beautiful new understanding. Mm-hmm. You think you have it figured out. And then life is like, and you're like, nope, I know nothing. I, nope, I'm blank slate. Yeah. And I found myself going back to God saying, I thought I had this figured out. Mm-hmm. What is your problem? What is your issue? Because you taught me this and it was supposed to work. Right. And at the very end, I'm left alone with myself. Because yes, I had to learn things with God. And yes, he was inviting me into a deeper relationship with himself. But my relationship, deepening my relationship with him was ultimately him reintroducing me to myself. Yeah. Like the work of act one and act two of coming to know him in new ways and seeing the savior in new ways yeah. was ultimately so that I could be okay with getting to know me. Yeah. Because act three is being left alone in a park with myself. Yeah. No distractions, right. no nothing, me yeah. and coming face to face with my five-year-old self saying, I don't want to talk to you. No. I don't want to hear what you're going to have to say. And I would posit that that's what our internal world is, is a bunch of different versions of ourselves saying, please don't talk to me until you can be nice to me. Mm. Because that, that version of us that got called fat, we're still that age and we're still in that torture. That version of us that told us we couldn't be quiet or in my case, loud is still in there begging and pleading to be loud. That version of us that felt shuddered still feels shuddered. And so we are an amalgamation of all of these versions of us. Yeah. And until we can sit down with them and say, hey, what can you show me? Hey, I'd love to talk. Hey, what do you have to teach me? Yeah. We're a walking menagerie of waiting to be set off. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're a walking menagerie of, ooh, we just got poked with a stick and that hurt. Yeah. So this book is very much a relationship with God. It's also his invitation to have a relationship with ourselves and to do that inner child work and to realize that we were always acceptable to him. Mm -hmm. Can we now learn how to be acceptable to ourselves? And can we learn to actually have those conversations in a loving and accepting way? So talk to us about the practical side of this then, like for somebody listening, your everyday person working a nine to five job and they've got a family and, you know, they're trying to pay the bills and they're realizing that they have these different stories. And what does it look like for somebody to begin to peel back 
those stories in everyday life to discover their true self? Like, what does that look like for you? Like, what advice would you give to somebody? Spend less time saying, I can't feel that way and spend more time asking yourself, why do I feel this way? Ah, that's huge. Um, because I spent my entire life going, nope, you can't feel that way. Being angry <laughs> is bad. Being yep. frustrated is bad. <laughs> Being impatient is bad. Like yep. that whole verse of like, love is patient and love is long suffering and love <laughs> is da, 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 da. I'm not making fun of that verse. That is mm -hmm. a powerful verse. Not arguing that. Yeah. But my entire life was me telling me that I was bad if I wasn't feeling those things. Yeah. So basically all of me was bad all of the time. And I spent so much energy internally punishing myself because I wasn't that. Yeah. Instead of inviting the parts of me that felt that way to the table saying, hey, it makes complete sense that you're mad at that person because they just like swooped over 17 of your boundaries and you got steamrolled. Like, yep. so it's actually taking the time to look instead of immediately doing the smackdown, saying, I had never realized that before. Please tell me more. Mm -hmm. um, so like the, the ground level, base level of this is just asking yourself, please tell me more. Mm. Like, what, what do you have to say to me? Mm. Um, <clears throat> what hurts? That's the other one. Maybe we're not, maybe they don't want to talk to us yet because we haven't developed trust. As yeah. crazy as that sounds, like I get this is why it became a play because if this <laughs> happened inside my own head, every person would be calling therapists for me. Uh, so we decided not to do it that way. <laughs> um, but my days now mm -hmm. consist of writing letters to the different parts of me. So developmentally, um, you see different emotions or different behavioral patterns in different ages of children, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm grasping at straws a little bit here because I don't have kids, but... I do. I'll let you know you're, you're, I already know okay. you're on the right track. I can already sense where you're going. <laughs> so when I start seeing those same kind of behavioral patterns, yeah. that clues me into which age of myself is trying to get my attention. Yeah. That clues me in. If I'm feeling sad a lot, instead of looking at that part of me and being like, buck up, figure it out. Let's go. It's go time going. What yeah. belief about yourself just got hit. Yeah. How, like what emotion just became a punching bag. Yeah. And so that you can actually interact. And then this is, this is like the, the 500 level. This is like, just start asking yourself questions. Like mm -hmm. I had to start by just getting curious. Yeah. Um, so moving from judgment to curiosity is the big step one, the upper level stuff that like I work with people a lot on is, okay, this is the age of you that is, that is having this experience yeah. what are they telling themselves about themselves because of what they're feeling mm. and that's that's when you that's the work that i facilitate with people is like okay so your two-year-old is hurting right now why is your two-year-old hurting yeah. and it's because they we all have scripts we're all telling ourselves i'm not enough mm -hmm. that person wouldn't be hurting if i was enough and so I need to be more so that I am enough so that they don't hurt. Yeah. Is that actually possible? Can I be enough for someone to not have an emotion? No, not going to happen. Yeah. My two-year-old doesn't know that. Yeah. And so then it's sitting with my two-year-old and actually saying, but guess what? 
it's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> Which as children, none of us know that because the world is about us, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody is hopefully providing for our needs. Hopefully people are there supporting us and loving on us. When they're not is when we start running into more of these things. But then we're the person stepping up to our two-year-old saying, it's okay, you don't have to be enough. You're not going to be enough for this, but I'm here and I'm going to help you. So it's okay. And you might not feel enough in this situation, but you're more than enough for God. And so let him be the one in the mix instead of you in the mix. So there's a lot of different ways to work it. um, But really, I'm not good at like, beginner level. I'm sorry. I can tell you, but like the deep dives are kind of no, <laughs> and that that's helpful because I mean it, it's almost like it's talking to that younger version of yourself and the way that you wish it had been spoken to back mm-hmm. in the day, back in the moment. And you know, my friend Alexander said to me, like when you come up against that younger version of yourself or you recognize him in you, you need to picture how talk to him in the way that you would talk to your daughter, because my daughter's five. He's like, how would you talk to your daughter? Would you shame your daughter? Would you tell your daughter to go, you know, would you lock her in the closet because she's getting in your way kind of thing? Like, of course you wouldn't, right? That'd be horrible. Like, you know, we'd have a major problem if that were the case, but he's like, you wouldn't do that. You take her on your knee and you would tell her the truth about herself. And he's so right. Like we were at a party, uh, July, I think it was July 4th. We were at a party and we thought it was gonna be like a few people there. Ended up being a lot of people there. And so we're all like at this table and, you know, I'm myself. I don't want to be around anybody. So I'm going to disengage and go get another hot dog, you know, and, and whatever. And my daughter, though, I noticed was there was a lot of kids there and she kind of went off. She was with them. Then she went out to play by herself. And she said to me later on, she's like, there were a lot of people there. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> she's like, did you feel a little bit uncomfortable? I was like, a little bit. Yeah. And she was like, I, I kind of liked it, but then I didn't, I didn't like, and I felt like I needed to be away. And I was like, you know what? That's okay. I was like, it's okay that that's how you felt. Like that's, everybody's different. She'll go, well, other kids were really having fun with each other. I'm like, and you had a little bit of fun, but then you needed some time by yourself. I said, everybody's different. Some people need more people around all the time. Some people need space. Some people want a lot of space, you know, like whatever it might be. And, you know, I'm just trying to honor that in her. And I realized that how I spoke to her that's how I can speak to myself in those moments as well. And that was just, that's been a very big awakening to me. So again, back to our original point, like when that younger inner child pops up, it's a matter of if our listeners have kids speaking to that younger version of yourself in the way that you would speak to your child, I think can do wonders. And, and also speaking to your adult self that way too. Not true. Um, <laughs> true. That's the, a whole nother the, element. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in the afterward. Uh, I share one of the stories that led me to write, like I was in the midst of writing the very first part. And um, I, I had people, I I had someone very close to me who struggled with very severe depression. Mm. And I very much lived in this place of if I were enough, this wouldn't be a problem. Mm -hmm. If I could just be more and do more, this wouldn't be a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it had just been a rough week. It had been a a knockdown drag out rough week. And I was in this headspace of like, if I could just be more, if I could just do more, this wouldn't be a problem. We'd be fine. And uh, my friend reached out to me and she said, what are you telling yourself right now? Like, how's this going? And, and, and then she said, what would you tell a friend? 
And I was like, well, I tell them they're doing an awesome job. I tell them that like, it's a big deal. They keep showing up. I tell them that like their effort matters and that, that it's okay that it's hard. That was the big takeaway. Like, it's okay that it's hard. And she's like, and so have you considered telling yourself that? Mm. (laughs) I hadn't, I honestly hadn't because I had to do more. I had to be more, but that was a big game changer realizing that I could also just tell myself, Hey, this is hard and that's okay. And, and so maybe that's your start. That's where you start. Maybe your younger selves are not ready for you in their space. <laughs> right. They want to play by That's themselves. Like, they want to do yeah. with you. They, they want to <laughs> go play on the other side. They want to go to the snack table and they right. want you as far away from them as possible. <laughs> right. So you start with yourself saying, yeah. Hey, you did good today. Like that was hard. We're human. We've never done this before. This was big. And yeah. you start there. Yeah. Maybe like when, when your younger self sees you treating your current self in a more honorable way perhaps they will feel more comfortable kind of showing themselves, so to speak. And my, my wife has been huge with that because I'm my own worst critic. And I think mm-hmm. most people who create stuff, probably you probably sense this too in yourself, is you can be your own. Everything I do, it's like, that sucks. Like, and that's going to be it's, it's terrible, right? And everything else, I should be doing more, should be better. And my wife was like, what, would you, what in the world would you tell somebody if they came to you with what you just made, I could tell them it's awesome. She goes, well, do that for yourself. You know, like you have to do that for yourself. Like give yourself the same grace and the same applause that you give to everybody else. Like you have to be your own cheerleader in a sense, because you need that. And it's, it's so true. And I think that as I've become more comfortable with that, it's that's when all this other inner child stuff starts to awaken as well. So that's a really, that's a really good point. So an interesting, an interesting story that I just thought of. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm working on restructuring a uh, website for a nonprofit, mm-hmm. um, which means that there's an original website that I can look at. I already have a headache. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, and 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 we're we're dealing with different platforms, so <laughs> how it's structured is a little bit different. I have a slightly different skill set. So of course I'm rebuilding this and I don't want to show it to anybody else on the board because I'm like, this thing is awful. Like I, it is not this because it's not this, it must be the worst. And so I put off sharing this with them. Everything they had to say was so positive. Yeah. And they're like, oh, maybe I'd use a different picture. Oh, I love this idea. You have to do this and this and this. So I, here I was sitting here, like you were never looking at this. This looks so bad. (laughs) And they're just like, this is really cool. Thanks. And I'm just like, are you sure? Are you lying? <laughs> yeah. So whenever I make something and I think it's terrible, when I show it to the person I made it for, they're like, oh, this was awesome. I'm like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, that's another place to build trust with yourself Yeah, is letting it land. Mm-hmm. Because for years I didn't let it land. Yeah. It was, oh, you have ulterior motives. Oh, you're just being nice. Oh, you're just insert whatever negative thing here so it's actually letting yourself believe people when they tell you good things and be like oh thank you i will choose to receive that yeah that's really good all right so one of the things i wanted our listeners to hear and um you can respond to this if you want but think one of the things i really appreciate about the book is that uh it encourages the reader and i think people will hear this in, in our conversation to embrace every aspect of their story, right? Like it's very, it's very non-dualistic. And I was thinking about, about that in terms of the church, because in the church, for me, it was my experience growing up, that there's a lot of dualism. There's a lot of, it's either good or bad, 
it's black or white, it's light or darkness, and everything that's on this side, the the darkness, the bad, whatever, that all needs to go away, kind of like I was saying before, and we just have to accept this. But the book is really encouraging us to invite every aspect of our story to the table. We might not want to give them all the seat at the head of the table. <laughs> Somebody's got to be at the head of the table, <laughs> having some kind of organizing the conversation but it, it's not, it's about bringing everybody in. And I think that's such a beautiful piece because so many of us who, who listen to this podcast, who have been brought up in the church, have been taught to shut those parts of themselves away. But you're really inviting us to bring all of those voices to the table and give them all a place and honor them, you know, for their experience and let them kind of speak into the present day to see what we can learn. Am I, am I kind of on the right, on the right wavelength? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that this is something that I wasn't ready to write in the book yet, mm-hmm. uh, because there was a whole lot of stuff in here that was eye-opening to me as I was writing <laughs> it down. Um, but, but it's definitely something that I've been, I'm embracing more and more post-publishing mm-hmm. the book. Um, and that is that idea of no parts of me are meant to be in a closet. Yeah. No parts of me are meant to be chained up somewhere. Yeah. Um, one, so like one, uh, because none of them are that bad. Mm -hmm. Life is nuance. That's, that's, I feel like what this book taught me. Life is nuance. We look at Jesus as a perfect being. And so we make assumptions about what perfection is. It was a light bulb moment for me a few Christmases ago. when I realized that Jesus had a first crush Hmm. like jesus stubbed his toe in the workshop in the middle of the night when he had to get up to go to the bathroom he maybe even dropped the bomb when he when he did when he stubbed his toe i mean (laughs) (laughs) but thinking of him that humanly yeah and and him i i mean if he if he's our perfect example that means he experienced all of life yeah that means that there was no part that was shuttered. That means that there was no part that was missed. Yeah. And so if he can be perfect, yeah. his perfection is wholeness. Mm-hmm. His perfection is a completeness of experience. Yeah. That means he is celebrating my completeness of experience with me as well. Yeah. Um, are there going to be things that I experience that go, you know, I don't like what that did to my mental health, or mm-hmm. I don't like that that maybe put me in a darker place, or I'm not a huge fan of how that affected my relationships. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Like we're here for agency. We're here for choice. We're here to try and gain experience and find out that that experience maybe wasn't the result we wanted. Yeah. But instead of locking that experience away with shame and embarrassment, say, nope, Mm -hmm. I didn't do that. None of you saw that. No, none of you were the wiser. Yep. You bring it to the table and you say, yeah, that was hard. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't what we thought it would be or wow. You learned a whole ton. And then that part of you is at the table offering wisdom. Mm. Uh, I'm a ginormous Chronicles of Narnia fan. So absolutely love the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> and um, one of Do you like I the asked, movies, do you like the movies or are you more of the book? I'm rereading the books right now. Okay. Prince Caspian, the movie. I hate I, hate that, oh, I just I hate that they bring in Peter and Peter goes well I'm the high king and I know what I'm doing and I'm a jerk no in the book Peter came in 
knowing that it, his time had passed and he was just helping the next person. So I struggle with <laughs> gotcha. how they write some of the characters a yep. little bit, but there's definitely value in all of that. Sure. So I, I do value the different perspectives, mm-hmm. but there's a moment in Prince Caspian. Nope, not Prince Caspian. In The Horse and His Boy. Mm-hmm. When uh, Edmund, they're, they're counseling together about this street urgent urchin pretending to be a prince mm-hmm. and how they need to offer him compassion. Because Prince, Caspi, uh, prince Edmund, King Edmund, whatever, mm-hmm. is talking about how he was offered that compassion once and mm-hmm. how that changed everything for him. Mm-hmm. I might be setting the context incorrectly, but that's his line. Sure. Is like, I'm going to choose compassion. I'm going to choose mercy because I know that I needed mercy once. Yeah. And that's what all of the pieces of us can offer us. Yeah. Like when you invite all of them to the table, you offer a degree of mercy to yourself that Mm. you can never experience. Mm. Because if you don't allow yourself to have it with yourself, you will not fully experience the mercy that God offers you because of the atonement. Like if, if you aren't fully willing to sit down with all the pieces of you and say, I see all of you and wow, what a life we've had. When the savior comes knocking saying, I offer you grace and I offer you mercy. You're always going to be looking at him, asking him what the deal is. Mm. You're always going to be giving him the yes, but instead of saying, yes, thank you. And so when we invite ourselves to the table, we allow ourselves that experience. We allow ourselves that love that then enriches us to a point where we can do the same to other people as well. Yeah, that's so, that's so true because I mean, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks, right? And there's so many times in my life, like I could look back over the last week and tell you 22 times that I left the door closed because I didn't feel worthy of the grace or I didn't feel worthy of the love or I felt like I was stuck in my, you know, this place and this dark moment. And I didn't feel like I was worthy to have that showered on me. But to your point, when we look back over the course of our lives, I think, and we remember instances where we receive that and how wonderful it felt, we feel more apt and more prone to open the door in the moment to let that love come in. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Well, hey, Allison, we are just about out of time, but this has been, this has been fun. But I think, like you said, we need to have an act two <laughs> and yes. an act three because we have more things <laughs> that we can definitely uh, explore. But thank you for your book and your work and for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure to be here today. Yeah, absolutely. And now uh, where can people go to connect with you and your work online? Any websites, social media you want to direct us to? Um, my website is currently under construction. Uh, it's getting a little bit of a facelift, but you can find me on Facebook at Allison Fabricius. Uh, all sorts of things show up there. I'm always surprised. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel, Empowering Lower Lights, um, that I'm I'm on there every week sharing things. So I would love to have you guys stop by. And of course, Unapologetically Allison is available on Amazon. So read it absolutely love it or hate it or whatever because it might bring up stuff that you're like never i never want to see these things (laughs) put it back on the shelf (laughs) (laughs) whatever it is engage with it have emotions with it and then i'd love to hear what you thought awesome i'll put the links in the show notes and we'll do it again soon hey thanks glenn